Hey, welcome to the Default Alive podcast. I'm Corey. And I'm Chris. And this is our audio documentary of our journeys building profitable internet businesses. And so if this is your first time listening, you can learn more about us and get up to speed by starting at episode number one. But if you're a regular, welcome back. Well, how things going with you? Things are going. <laughs> uh, you know, Monday, typical Monday. But it feels like we're in a similar kind of state right now. Similar little phase. Yeah, I think so. Just kind of surviving. <laughs> <laughs> surviving is a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've been thinking like progress right now is, is not coming that easy for me. Mm. It feels kind of like pushing a boulder uphill. What do you think it is? I don't know. You know, listening to some other podcasts, uh, I get this general sense that, you know, with COVID restrictions lifting, summer coming up and, you know, summer basically happening now, like a lot of people just want to go have fun. <laughs> and, you know, that, that obviously makes sense after the past year. Uh, I don't know that I've like, totally felt that pull but uh Mm. maybe that is a part of it i don't know Hmm. i think that's true for me i i don't know if i wanted to admit it but like i kind of just don't want to work i kind of just want to go be outside (laughs) it sounds so weird but like i don't know something strange i think maybe i think maybe since it's gotten warmer here in san diego since it's uh it's been kind of hot and uh i don't know i've just been just been drawn outdoors. I haven't been thinking about work very much. Um, but like, which is weird. Cause like I love to work and I'm really excited about all the things that I'm working on in future stuff. But it's just like that momentary motivation is just like completely like shot right now. Yeah. I think you nailed it. I, I'm probably feeling that too. And I just don't want to admit it. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's a bummer. I mean, well, I don't know. It's like, is it because it's like, right. We probably should be feeling this way, you know, given that we just came out of a year and something long pandemic shutdown, you know, fully lockdown restrictions. So, you know, can you blame a guy for wanting to be outdoors and not, <laughs> not want to work? Right. Yeah. On Friday I went to a coffee shop that I used to go work at all the time and brought my laptop. I was sitting out on the patio and I was just like, you know, no mask on working away. And it just felt like the old times. I was like, this feels so great. Uh, yeah. you know, that's like one of my favorite things about San Diego is just being able to work outside and, um, just enjoy the weather and, oh mm-hmm. man, it was so awesome. Yeah. Oh man, it's fantastic. Where were we? Well, I think it was what it was Tuesday when sort of like things were lifted and, um, I don't know. It was just like the, the marker day, whatever it was. I can't remember where we went, but I think it was somewhere on Tuesday. And, uh, and I just like, I was like, okay, I'm just like going to walk in without a mask and like see what happens. <laughs> and, like, Feels sure weird, enough, right? like, yeah, everyone, like no one else was wearing a mask. And like, I wasn't getting like weird looks like I was before. There was, I tell about the time that I walked into Sprouts without a mask and people looked at me like I was crazy. Oh no. I, so I had, my wife had the car this was like only like three weeks ago or something. My wife had the car and we shared the car. And so I took her little electric scooter up the street to Sprouts cause it's like the closest kind of grocery store to us. And, um, so I got to Sprouts and then we, I don't have like a little lock or like, you know, security mechanism for it. So I had to just like take it in with me and I was just there to like grab a sandwich for dinner and uh, cause I have like a little deli and it's pretty cheap. And in the mix of me like folding up the uh, the scooter and like walking it indoors, I completely forgot to put on a mask. And so I'm walking just like straight through, not a care in the world, straight to the back with my scooter. And everyone has given me the craziest looks I've ever seen. Like I've never been stared at <laughs> like that, like this before, where it was just like full on like double takes and people's eyes are wide open. And people were even like giving me these eyebrows, like, I don't know, like I was crazy. Um, 
And I was like, what the heck, people? It's just a scooter. <laughs> like, get over yourselves. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, but we share a car or whatever. So I walked all the way to the back. And I go up to the, to the deli. I'm looking at the menu. And I'm still getting these strange looks. I'm just like, what is going on? But I was like, whatever. I don't care. And so and then the lady looks at me. And she can tell I'm about to order. And she's all, sir, do you have a mask? And I was like, yeah. I was like, oh, oh. I was like, one second. Yep, let me put that on. That makes sense why everyone's looking at me crazy. And I didn't get any crazy looks. So when I went on Tuesday somewhere and I didn't get a crazy look, I sort of like had that like PTSD in the back of my head too. Like, mm-hmm. are people going to look at me crazy again? And But no, sure enough, it was completely normal. Right, yeah. Yeah, it's it's PTSD. Yeah, that, it's weird how like going into places now, all of a sudden I'm like reaching in my pockets like, wait, do I have a mask on me? And then, yeah. you know, oh, I don't need it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, it's a weird Even feeling. like a lot of places, I think there's still, you know, some sort of like discretionary, you know, businesses can say that masks are suggested or recommended or like maybe even required some places. And so a lot of places I've been going to, I'm like, oh, I should just like have one in my pocket or like bring one with me just in case. Um, but it's been nice actually that no one has said anything or no place is actually I think we went to one place where it was recommended, but even then everyone in there didn't have one. So we were like, okay, well, I mean, (laughs) it's not going to make a difference if we don't have one. So, uh, it's been surprisingly okay. Yeah. And, and that even more now is like fuel in the fire to just be like, yeah, outdoors, no work. <laughs> Summer feels like being a kid again and you're out of school and you're just still doing no school work. I know. Yeah. And Hey, I, I, you know, kind of feel like what's the point of indie hacking if we're just going to work ourselves to death? Uh, we might as well take yeah. advantage of the flexible schedule and enjoy it. It's true. It's true. Yeah, I was thinking a little bit. I think we've talked about it before, and I don't want to rehash it too much, but um, I was thinking, I was like, man, I think I would really enjoy taking a little bit of time off or at least like not feeling guilty about this because I technically am in the position to do that, but I'm also not because things are still like pretty feast or famine month-to-month revenue-wise and freelancing, so I have obligations with Derek, obviously, and Savvy Cal. So I was like, I can't really, you know, take full advantage of the indie hacking kind of life and just be like, okay, whatever. <laughs> just going to take the week off or whatever it was. But I will say on yeah. Friday, Friday I had plans to do some work and I ended up not working at all because I met with a couple of friends in the morning um, for a little kind of like book review and then recorded a podcast interview uh, where I was being interviewed and then I went to go get lunch with a friend and, um, and then we ended up getting lunch for like three hours and then like it was four o'clock and I got back home and I just did like a tiny bit of work, just like a couple of prep stuff for today for a couple of interviews that I was hosting for everything's marketing. And I was like, okay, well, like that's it. <laughs> I'm just not going to get anything <laughs> more done today. So it is what it right. is. Yeah, that's funny. How was the the week otherwise? Yeah, it was pretty good. Um, I didn't feel, you know, I think I've been talking about how I've been feeling like a little bit burned out, a little bit tired, a little bit unmotivated. Um, I still got a decent amount done. Um, Just minor stuff, more prep stuff. I will say I'm feeling pretty good about, I've built up a big queue for everything is marketing. So maybe the last time we talked, I think I was talking a little bit more about working in sprints and kind of like doing like big projects rather than, and like chipping away at stuff bite by bite. And I think I'm going to lean into that more. And um, so I built up this big queue for everything's marketing. And I have episodes all the way out through September. So oh, wow. like, I'm not going to reach out. I already have like a whole bunch of other interviews already scheduled that'll probably get me through maybe even October. So I'm okay. I'm not going to like, you know, reach out to anyone else for a while, you know, a couple of months, maybe. Um, now I really want to, you know, dig into creating more Twitter content in advance. I'm like already way behind sort of my, my public goal of getting to 25,000, although I'm closing in on 11,000, but maybe in the next month I'll double <laughs> possibly, but you know, <laughs> I'm just going to like schedule some content and then like, let it be. Um, and then really start working on other stuff, maybe devoting like a week or two 
uh, each to certain projects like the brain, to the tiny marketing ideas newsletter, some course ideas, uh, and just other kind of projects in the future, a virtual summit, possibly kind of TBD in the works right now. Um, and so, yeah, I was just kind of like chipping away at some of those things last week. Um, I have been feeling a little bit guilty about not being super active in the Swipe House community, which is always a bummer. And it's like some of the, you know, it's one of the drawbacks of having a community is that you, you can't just like check out or disappear. Um, you have to, even if you have like a really vibrant, lively community, you still need to check in because you don't, you know, you don't want to do that. It's just like, you can't. Um, so I've been kind of, yeah, I've been sparse, I think mostly because mm. of my just like general feelings towards work stuff right now. Um, so I've been feeling a little bit guilty about that, uh, but I haven't really done anything about it yet. I think still like I'm not to rag on him cause I love him for everything else, but I've been waiting on circle for this ability to schedule posts for like a long time now. And I'm kind of getting a little bit antsy, like, all right, this will really help me in a time like this where <laughs> I can just like sit down for an hour, write out some stuff for, you know, a couple of weeks in advance. And at least I know how I, at least I know I have that sort of stuff going for me. Um, but that's made things a little bit, you know, that's created a little bit more anxiety for me personally. Um, yeah. Do they have a Zapier integration? They do. And, you know, I could go the route of like, I think you can, I don't know, create like a Google sheet of ideas and then like have it post a new one every week or something. Mm -hmm. And you can even like schedule, like have like one off zaps, which maybe I should just pull the trigger on and do. Uh, but I haven't done that yet. Yeah. Yeah. That was the only solution that came to mind. Yeah. Which I should, at the end of the day, it's not the worst. I could just create a new folder and schedule those apps, but that in and of itself feels like, I don't know, like a whole thing, <laughs> a whole you know? project. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. It's just, I don't know. I feel like I'm whining, but just, I wish that that would be something that definitely make my life a little bit easier. Um, the, the, the last week, actually, I think the last two weeks were when the, the Maven, the first cohort of the Maven, how to build a cohort based course, cohort based course happened. Um, so I wanted to give an update on that because I've been sort of like, oh, I've been waiting to hear back from them. Well, to be honest, I didn't hear back from them. Even though I think I technically kind of hit the threshold, I didn't get invited to the first cohort, which is fine. And I think actually the timing probably works out in my favor. It just like wouldn't have been like a great, I don't know, probably would have induced more stress and anxiety. But uh, I've been thinking about more of the cohort-based course uh, cohort stuff. And I'm still kind of on the fence about it. I don't know. I've been more and more in the camp of like, I just need to keep doing more of what I enjoy doing and not think more of like what I should be doing, but just like what's fun and what do I personally want to do? Cause then I'll actually, I don't know, go and do it and I can do it sustainably. So I don't know if a core based course fits in that equation, but regardless, it's nothing that's on the immediate roadmap, especially given that I haven't gone through the Maven course. Uh, for the latest cohort. So that would be, you know, that would have been like kind of a, a catalyst, you know, to getting that done and actually making it happen. Hmm. Yeah. I've always, well, I don't know. I get the impression that the courses is like you said, something you feel like you should do, but it's maybe not where you really want to put your energy. Yeah. A, a self-paced course sounds a lot more exciting and appealing to me than a core based course. Mm -hmm. and I think a little bit we're starting to see, I don't know, some of like the end of the hype cycle around core based courses, not a knock against it, but uh, I've been hearing from people who have or close to the source that uh, the Maven team, especially, and which again, this is not a, a knock against them, but they're pushing more towards shorter cohorts and like two, like one to three week long core based courses rather than like, four to eight weeks like people were doing originally. I think because people are starting to feel some of the fatigue of all these core based courses and like they just take a long time and people want quicker, snappier results. Um, hmm. So, uh, but I think also uh, like, I don't know, I hear less about them. I feel less like pressure to like create one just because it's like the cool thing to do right now. And it's kind of the hot commodity and maybe people will be more open to it. Um, so I think I'm just going to kind of, 
waited out a little bit longer on that front. Yeah. Do you know if the idea is to do like shorter courses or less material or is it just to compact it down into one to three weeks, but same amount of material? I think less material, like less meetings, less material, just like less to consume overall quicker, easier outcomes. Uh, definitely more like focus too. I think originally it was very like, um, like these broad kind of big subjects, you know, be like, I don't know, crypto 101 or something. And now we're seeing like how to get started in crypto, you know, like a very, like, that's a much smaller bite to take rather than crypto mm -hmm. 101 or like, I think like Pomp, for example, Anthony Pompliano is a big crypto guy and Bitcoiner and has a podcast and his huge audience. And originally he was, his prompt was like advanced crypto and DeFi strategies or something like that. And it was going to be like a six to eight week long thing. And then they found like most people were interested in beginner stuff. So then it was like crypto 101. And then he was like, well, actually people just want to know like how to get started if they haven't broken in already. So then it was like, you know, how to get started with Bitcoin. And it's like super, super specific. You know, I think it was like two weeks long, only like, you know, six lectures or something like that. And that's much more, uh, it's much smaller, you know? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. It, it makes me think of the, well, in my mind, the original cohort based course, uh, 30 by 500 by Amy Hoy and Alex yeah. Hillman. I know. <laughs> uh, so yeah, when I took that in 2014, it was, uh, it was over a weekend. It was two days long, the, the course part of it. Um, and it was like all day for two days and you mm. just were just crammed with information and knowledge and practice and homework and all of that. Um, and then there was like an additional extension to it that took place over the next I don't know, I think it was like four weeks after or something like that. Mm. But the real meat of the value was in just those two days. And a lot of people started to fall off, including myself over the next few weeks. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that's still their format or not, but kind of interesting. Wouldn't surprise me. I think that, I think personally that's more appealing to me than like yeah. having it be drawn out over such a long time. Like, look, just let me like book out a day or two and then I'll just like knock this thing out and really go all in and, kind of treat it like a conference, you know, where you're really like immersed in it rather mm -hmm. than having to like fit it around my schedule and have it be like one more thing that I have to do on top <laughs> of everything else. Right. Um, um, so I could see that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think I like that too. Yeah. I've also been seeing, um, there's a creator mastermind that I joined. And maybe I mentioned on here before, uh, with a couple of select choice creators, um, who I was very generously invited to, to join. And, um, we were talking a little bit about it on our last meeting last Wednesday. And a few of them were talking about how they're moving more towards like, okay, I could do like a paid workshop at first, which is like an hour of me, like going through like a part of what could become a course or like a gist or an intro to something that would become a course. Um, and then if people are interested in that, I can do like a really, really short, cohort based course. And then if people are really interested in that, that I can create like a little bit of a longer cohort based course. And then if people are interested in that, then I can create like a self paced evergreen course, or you could skip all the cohort based course stuff altogether and just go from paid workshop to, uh, to paid course or like split up the course into three parts and people can, you know, consume one at a time and you kind of release them over time. And, um, in that sense, right, it's kind of like a mini cohort-based course where you're just, it's a paid workshop, right? You're just, you're joining for an hour or two, one session, super, super focused and specific. And then if you want more, then either you wait for the next paid workshop or you get upsold to whatever else the next kind of thing in the ladder is. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So we'll see. I might experiment with one of those as well. Yeah. Test the waters for course ideas nice yeah one more note on the creator mastermind and and then i have one more thing we can talk about but no other like updates for me is also in that session 
Um, I was really, I don't know, been thinking a little bit more existentially, like just trying to get really clear on swipe files and like the offering of swipe files. And I think I mentioned like, you know, thinking about business model changes, like moving more to a subscription kind of singular plan where courses are included and like everything's included and there's no kind of like value ladder or upsells or cross sales, buffet style. Like it's just like, this is it. And it's, I don't know, one to $300 a year, for example. And personally, I think that's a little bit more of where I want to go. And like, that feels more like gives me more peace about just like over delivering and it being valuable and also not like separating or siloing the, the courses versus the community as much and like joining them together. So you can come for one or both and stay for one or the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and part of that was, um, so Jay Kunzo kind of helped me. We were kind of just brainstorming afterwards a little bit. And uh, he likes to use a, a why, how, what framework just to kind of like space out, like, and think about what it is that you want to offer and deliver on. Um, so I thought I'd just read it super, super quickly, just kind of like give an idea, more just like thinking out loud. And if people have feedback, if you have feedback, awesome. If not, that's great. I'm just kind of putting it out there. Um, but the why is really like, why do I do this? And why would I do it if I didn't? you know, get paid or like just what's like the, the driving motivating factor behind working on this thing or doing the things that I am doing. And, um, so kind of my, my working in progress statement is to help people with exceptional products, services, and content get the attention they deserve. And that went through a couple of iterations, but you know, at first I was kind of more around like, uh, well, I want to help people, I don't know, like realize their dreams or like, I feel like it was like super, super fluffy and just like, <laughs> didn't know how to translate it. So this is like the, the latest version of, I think what I really like and enjoy is just, I know I see really amazing founders and creators and product people and the work that they produce, but it doesn't, that potential doesn't get realized until it gets in people's hands. And a lot of people just don't get the attention that they deserve. And so I want to be, or I want to help people help them get the attention that they do deserve. So that's like the working kind of statement. And then, so how do I do that? How do I deliver on it? Um, then this is a couple of different statements. So celebrate and teach audience first marketing or customer first marketing, however you want to describe it, remix and sample examples in and outside of your industry for inspiration and swipe file, uh, esque market from a foundation of first principles, framework, psychology, it's back to kind of mental models, advocate for a minimal viable marketing, you don't need to be everywhere and do everything. So this is a little bit of a newer one, but I think this is maybe one of the core tenants I want to move forward on and could be like a thing in and of itself in the future. But just like, you know, you don't have to do everything and be everywhere. That's, I mean, it kind of speaks for itself, but like there's maybe something to doing less, but, but better marketing. Uh, and then the final one is push the boundaries of conventional and boring marketing, get outside of your echo chamber, think outside the box, that kind of stuff. Cause that's really, I think that I was thinking about that one, especially in relation to the podcast. And that's really what it's about is like just not doing the same stuff over and over again. I really, that's like the most personally curious and interesting one for me. It's just like wacky marketing stuff. <laughs> that's like the most personally curious one for me. And then like, what does that actually look like at the end of the day? Well, it's my Twitter, it's a newsletter, taking marketing ideas, Everything's marketing, the brain, courses, community, virtual summits. Um, and that's like the most flexible part, right? So anyways, that's kind of the, the work in progress summary of how I'm thinking about swipe files. Awesome. I like that a lot. When you said that first statement, uh, that really resonated with me and how I guess I look at you and well, you know, why you're interested in marketing and how you've been able to help people. So I think you really mm. nailed it there. The, the why to help people with exceptional products get the attention mm-hmm. they deserve. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. That's good to hear. Yeah. I feel like it really, I don't know, really well, uh, maybe I could get more specific, like, you know, by X, Y, and Z or like what kind of people or I don't know, but I feel like just in general, it feels pretty good. I don't know. It's a, a flag I can plant in the ground. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So, enough of me. What about you? How was your week last week? Uh, yeah, as we discussed at the, the beginning of the show, it was definitely a 
slower week for me. Um, especially the, let's say the first half of the week. Again, I think everything opened up on Tuesday. So, uh, we went out for dinner that night and, um, yeah, just a a slower start to the week for sure. I had trouble getting into it, but, uh, despite that it ended up being, uh, like I talked last time, there were just a lot of things in the air. And so last week ended up being wrapping up and tying the bow on a lot of those projects, which was nice. Mm. Um, awesome. Yeah. The, let's see the, uh, there were some vulnerabilities reported, got those taken care of, which always feels good just to make sure that's all secure. Um, the big one that's been looming over my head for a while, the, the internal versioning for JetBoost, um, mm. so that we can serve different customers, different versions of, uh, the product. I got that live on Saturday, uh, with zero hiccups, nice. which was <laughs> a very big relief, uh, since it mm. was a, a major underlying change and had the potential to, uh, go drastically wrong, which is why I did it on Saturday. Whew. Yeah. So nothing um, just smooth, smooth sailing smooth sailing uh the nice. whole way through it was yeah it was a, a very big relief it's actually it's kind of funny too because uh, my wife and i are we're starting to uh we started it last weekend we're like okay we're gonna on weekends give each other three hours a day uh where the person can just do whatever they want and you know like mm-hmm. i'll watch my son and she can have her three hours to do whatever she wants uh, and then vice versa so my three hours I spent <laughs> doing this big release <laughs> and then her three hours she spent uh, doing a bunch of errands like she had to ship a bunch of stuff and uh, go take like dry cleaning or just like, wow, we are both super lame. Like this is what we use our free time for. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. It's not to like go get lunch with a friend or right. go to somewhere. <laughs> it's just like the most mundane tasks you can imagine. Yeah. Yeah, the spirit of it was like, yeah, go do stuff with friends or, or whatever, but um, <laughs> we, we we haven't done that yet. <laughs> Maybe next weekend, yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so that was awesome. And it was actually, it was it was two pretty major releases wrapped into one feature. So there's the internal versioning. And then along with that, uh, there's now a caching layer. Um, so I, I tweeted about this basically um the initial load time for JetBoost on uh, on a customer site is now like two to three times faster uh, because of this caching layer. Awesome. And I realized I'm I have like an obsession with just like performance tuning and shaving <laughs> milliseconds off of requests where I can. And, this gave me such immense satisfaction getting it live. Uh, I just like kept refreshing like the API stats and seeing like, oh, like 97% of the requests are cached now. Like this is amazing. Hmm. Um, so that'll be really helpful for, I mean, not only for performance, but also for uh, scaling as we continue to add more customers. Hmm. So That's that awesome. felt really so good. It's, yeah. it's versioning and scaling uh, caching stuff. Mm-hmm. both uh both together double yeah out. yeah it the caching was probably i mean i always think everything is like long overdue um but yeah so when when a site that's using jetboost loads it has to ask the jetboost server you know which boosters am i using which elements are they tied to how basically how is jetboost set up on this site and so whenever someone visits visits a page that's using JetBoost, it has to uh, look that up and uh, in order for all the JetBoost features to work. And so basically for every single site, for every single visitor, it was always recalculating, you know, that configuration when, unless you're going into your JetBoost account and changing things like that never changes. So uh, really it, it's like a, perfect example of something that should be cached and that's what i'm seeing now like that like 97 percent of those requests are just hitting the cache and not hitting the mm-hmm. database or anything else which is super cool it's great i love it i feel like i yeah. I, I understand just enough to like understand conceptually <laughs> but you know 
beyond that point, I'm mostly I'm nodding my head. It like sounds good. I don't actually know what that <laughs> means or looks like in yeah. real life application. But um, but I understand why it's a good thing and it sounds awesome and fantastic. So yeah, it's great. It's funny because it's, it's one of those things like it's hard to really make a lot of noise about it or, uh, you know, there's, there's no mm, like screenshots right. to show or animations or anything. And, <laughs> and yet it's something that like gives me personally a lot of joy. So I'm like, I want to mm. tell people about this. I want to share it, uh, yeah. but there's just yeah. not, not a lot you can do there, but yeah. I know there should be a way to like identify which customers are developers. And that way you can like only send <laughs> some notifications to them. Like, look at how fast things are now. And look at all, all these things that are cached and some, you know, all the random performance improvements you can just kind of geek out on. Yeah. I'm always jealous of, uh, Ben Ornstein who, who runs Tuple yeah. because right. they have all like hardcore developer customers. And, uh, I remember listening to some of the old art of product episodes and, um, yeah, they would send out updates like that where I think they, at one point they might've even had like latency graphs, like inside of the tuple app. So you could see, <laughs> cause it's just like, mm, yeah, they get you it. can, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I've mentioned, I've heard them mention, um, uh, like the release notes for, you know, cause they're like a, a Mac, uh, app, you know, on the desktop app. And so, every time I upgrade, there's like little notes or it maybe it was somewhere else too, but they were like trying to be all formal about it and like brief. And they were like, wait, no, they're developers. And so they just like went into like insane nuance and detail and like people <laughs> loved it. And they're like, Oh, we should just do this more often and get into all the weird stuff. And cause they can. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm jealous of that for sure. But oh well, it's okay. You'll have to deal with us no coders, us uh, us basics. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I, I I think like from my consulting days, uh, I, I've learned. Uh, you know, we'd we'd be in meetings with the clients, and you have like newer developers, and I certainly did this myself in the beginning, where you like want to tell the client everything and like every little detail and mm -hmm. you know, implementation detail and all of that. And as you get more experienced and you get farther along, you learn like, okay, like I need to speak their language. Uh, you know, they don't care about all the stuff that's in the weeds. And, uh, so mm -hmm. I, I've become very aware of that from that experience. <laughs> yeah. Very practiced now. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, well, it's good. It's glad to like, yeah. got a few of those things tied up and, um, out the door and at least they're off your plate now, right? You don't have to think about them or worry about them too much, at least not in the same way. Yeah. I was somewhat surprised at, I think that was also affecting, uh, just productivity from me was having stuff like that looming overhead. And I, I was surprised at how much relief I felt just from, all right, this is done. This is shipped. Uh, and you know, it's one, one less code branch to worry about. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah yeah it was nice yeah those be like the type of things that you you ship and you get out the door and then you take the day off early right you know and you just kind of all right i've done my job here this is a big thing and i can just relax and feel good about it yeah i did do one other <laughs> uh one other sort of random project last week uh so i watched this it's one of the best webinars I've seen maybe ever. Uh, mm -hmm. It was from the head of growth at SureSwift Capital. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. So for anyone that doesn't know SureSwift Capital, they work, uh, they actually work pretty closely with Ernest Capital, but they purchase SaaS companies. Uh, I think anywhere from like 20K MRR to I think it was maybe like 500K MRR or something like that. Mm -hmm. But pretty large, um, SaaS companies. And so they put on this webinar, uh, which was basically what founders get wrong about Google analytics and then how they set up each of their SaaS companies with Google analytics. Uh huh. And I think this ended up being so useful because it was like a lot of times when you watch talks, you know, it's someone talking about how they did something at their company. And this is like 
how we do something at, you know, I don't know how many, maybe 20, 30, 40, 50 companies. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's like really like best practice from, you know, yeah. their point of view. And uh, yeah, I, I it, it was like an hour long. I learned so much. Uh, and they say right in the beginning, like, everyone thinks they know Google analytics cause it's like pretty simple to set up, but, uh, there is so much more you can do with it than just the basic like traffic mm. numbers. Hmm. Um, so anyways, I, I watched that and then, um, took some time to set it up the way that they set it up. And, uh, it's kind of cool now that I have a lot more conversion numbers as far as like, uh, visitors to signups and, um, able to see more flows as far as, uh, you know, uh, which landing pages and search queries and all of these different systems are now tied together. And, uh, it's, yeah, it's pretty cool. That's awesome. The, you don't have to give like the whole recap, but like, um, like high level things that you, that you did, uh, was it mainly just like implementing some like event tracking and tying those back to conversions, um, like setting up different like funnels or just, you know, pre sort of, um, I forget what they're called, uh, different sequences of events that lead up to a conversion or, you know, what's like the, the 30 second overview of kind of big changes. Yeah. Uh, the first one surprisingly was actually use Google tag manager, uh, oh. which I've never used before. Interesting. And I was quite skeptical of that and wasn't going to do it. Um, But I ended up using it because, so I have Google Analytics running now on the marketing site and also a couple of the the JetBoost app pages, uh, mainly Mm -hmm. like the signup page, uh, just for, you know, tracking like the, the conversions to sign up. Right. And I, I never fully understood like why I use Google Tag Manager except for I knew you could like add, it was it made it easier to add in other scripts. Um, but I've always been like, well, I just run Google Analytics. Like I'm not trying to run, you know, a bunch of other stuff like Hotjar and what other, other, other um, scripts like that. But actually it's, <laughs> it's a really nice no code way of using Google Analytics. Uh, so the JetBoost app is a single page application, so it doesn't have full page refreshes. And previously, whenever I've worked with single page applications in Google Analytics, like you had to write some code in order to tell it that page views were happening. Uh, and oh, with I Google see. Tag Manager, there's just like a setting that you toggle on. Uh, mm. Didn't have to write any extra code for it. And I was like, oh man, this is great. <laughs> right, right, yeah. So. Well, that was, uh, that was one surprising benefit. Um, and they, they go into another, uh, a number of other reasons as to why they use tag manager. Um, but for, for my use case, uh, really that, that was just the, the only reason for me. Hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. I need to maybe try to get my hands on the replay or something because <laughs> it feels like it's probably a few things I could learn there as well. Yeah. Yeah. That was a big one. The other one was just, uh, and, and you've probably used this before, but actually using the, uh, the Google analytics goals feature. So they were saying like probably 50% of the SaaS companies they purchase don't have any goals set up. Mm. And, uh, I, I was, would have been one of those, <laughs> uh, yeah. didn't have any goals set up. And so I went through and, and did that. Uh, and they set them up in a specific way using, uh, their preference is to have like landing pages as goals, um, mm. in, versus using like custom events. They prefer not to use custom events, uh, and they go into mm. like the reasoning for that. So, uh, yeah, it was it was really interesting. Yeah, yeah I wish I could just. Wow. <laughs> it, it was a private webinar. Uh, I, I wish I could just like link to it in the show notes, but mm. um, yeah, it it was cool. I mean that that's yeah. like. It's one of the benefits of being a part of uh, something like Earnest Capital, uh, where you get access to uh, these different webinars. There, there was one I attended recently about 
some best practices as to building on a blog and uh, hiring writers and uh, that was really informative. So yeah, I've, I've been really pleased with uh, everything that I've been able to get access to through them. Awesome. Yeah. Lots and lots of stuff. <laughs> Another promotion keep, uh, for Ernest. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's uh, it's the default live bingo. Now we've unlocked <laughs> that card and uh, crossed that one off. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Um, well, unless you have something else, I wanted to get your thoughts on something that isn't new news, but I've completely forgotten to ask you about because um, I didn't have it in my notes, but it's been on my mind for a while now, uh, which is, did you see the announcement about um, Collab Capital and their raise, like $50 million or like a, you know, a new kind of alt VC firm? Uh, actually, I don't think so. No. Okay. I had see, I did. They were on my radar for a while, uh, and you reminded me of the last move because then Tyler retweeted, and then I saw them again, and then I looked into it a little bit further. And specifically, Tyler was talking about sort of like their their unconventional new uh, terms for investment and sort of like how they work and return capital to limited partners. And I thought it was really, really interesting. I just want to get your thoughts and chat about it. But um, one, because I think that, uh, you know, new types of funding are, is needed, right? And we're very much in the camp of like, hmm, VC is like not great and usually not the best option. Uh, but also not pure bootstrappers. You've taken money from Ernest, um, which, is, which is great and awesome. You know, many more founders are going down this path. I'm certainly very, very interested in this path in general. Um, but, you know, besides Tiny Seed and Ernest, previously in DVC, like there hasn't been like a lot of innovation or just even general in general, like a lot of options, right? Like those are the options. It's those two now, Tiny Seed and Ernest, and then it's VC, and then it's like everything else, which is revenue-based financing, debt, uh, you know, there's sort of a new category now with like pipe and cap chase where you can like, you know, get, what is it like 75% of annual contracts upfront for customers directly. Uh, and then you pay like a five to 6% fee, the Stripe capital, stuff like that. Okay. So, uh, collab capital created this new kind of, um, what's the best word to describe it? Like this new vehicle, like in investment terms, called the space it stands for the shared profits and collaborative endorsement. And they gave these two really practical examples, which I'll paraphrase really quickly. But the first one is scenario a, they invest 500,000 for a 10% target ownership in company a, they work with them. They see a good amount of growth. For example, they're growing at like 30% month over month, which would be, you know, fantastic. That's a huge <laughs> sort of metric to, yeah. to reach, right? <laughs> but obviously, you know, growing exponentially, right? maybe warrants the attention of going down the venture track. So they garner the attention of series A investors um, and they decide that, you know, it makes sense for this business to to keep injecting capital into it, at which case they raise the next round and then the 500,000 turns into, actually does convert into the 10% ownership in company A. And then they continue down the venture track. the alternative is scenario B. Maybe they invest 500000 into a company targeting 10% ownership. They work with the business, but it doesn't grow as fast. They said 10% month over month, which I still feel like is like pretty um, pretty aggressive, like pr- a yeah. lot. You know, It's hard to sustain. But you know, fill in the blank of like whatever number is not venture track growth, essentially. Um, mm-hmm. So they determined that maybe this business isn't a venture track business and that uh, there's actually a good potential for uh, profitability. Or maybe it's just a smaller market, or maybe there's some sort of pivot and it just warrants a change in the business. Um, and so they decide that maybe they're, that's gonna be their final check into the business or a check of that kind. Maybe they pursue other revenue or other financing options like revenue-based financing or debt or loan or some sort of you know pipe, kind of like um, non-dilutive growth capital, for example. And so in that case, they convert the $500,000 into the 10% equity, but with a profit share where the company returns profits back to Collab Capital. And then 
the company can reduce the equity stake that Collab Capital has by 1% for every multiple that they return back to Collab Capital. So they return the initial investment back now instead of 10%, it's 9%. They return 2x, 3x, 4x, 5x. That's 3, 4, 5% off of the original 10%, all the way down to a floor which they determine and negotiate uh, upfront. So it's, it's sort of similar to earnest in the sense of um, there's kind of like a fixed or maybe not a fixed, but like a, a floor and ceiling to the capital that's returned and that it's sort of profit sharing, but also it doesn't have to be purely a profit sharing. You could, you know, not be profitable and keep growing until a certain point, maybe up until acquisition or IPO or whatever the exit looks like. Um, but it's also sort of like a safe and that it doesn't convert until doesn't convert technically until later. Um, and they sort of have like this, these options. Um, and so I thought that was interesting because it's basically like, I don't know, best of both worlds. Like you could keep going down the venture track. Maybe even if you're not growing, you know, like growing 30% month over month doesn't have to be money. That goes to just be users or whatever metric you want to measure, uh, that satisfies that. Or you could choose to be profitable and build a, they you actually use the word com company, which is very, uh, very similar mm. to Ernest's kind of messaging. Did I explain that? Okay. Like, does that make sense? Yeah. What are your initial thoughts? It sounds very similar to Ernest to me. I'm, I'm curious, like, do you know what Tyler said about it or? Shoot, I should have had his tweet up, but I don't remember him commenting on anything like how it was similar to Ernest. I think it was more just like okay. celebrating the fact that it was not traditional VC terms <laughs> okay. um, that are, you know, grow at all costs, binary outcome kind of stuff. Um, but yeah. I can't remember specific, so I could be wrong. Yeah. So the reason that it sounds like Ernest to me is because uh, when Ernest invests, there is like you said, an equity percentage number, but it isn't truly equity unless there is a specific event like a series A or uh, if you were to sell the business. So that part's very similar. And also, like you said, the uh, if you go down you know, the profitability route, the, the profit sharing uh, and, and buying back that quote unquote equity percentage that's very similar to although the I don't know maybe maybe that was just an example the term sounded somewhat <laughs> worse to me than uh, the earnest terms oh really I, yeah. was, I was trying to remember exactly what earnest offers uh, I think that what the default is like it goes down to a minimum two or two and a half percent equity stake from 10 to 15 or 12 percent that it starts yeah I know, I know with earnest it's the numbers are different for every investment um, yeah but the it, the the multiple so you, so you said like for every multiple you return back it's like one percent off of the equity mm-hmm I, th I think that is, at least as far as I know, I think that might be not great compared to Ernest. Mm, interesting. Yeah, my initial impression was that they're very much, um, so I think it's very innovative, but it still seems like it's mainly to attract kind of like venture scale, venture track businesses, but with a caveat of like, okay, here's like this other option so that it's not a binary outcome. Um, Cause actually, so Cloud Capital was started basically to invest solely in uh, black founded, black owned businesses. Um, and so they were talking about how like the venture outcomes of like, you know, one to 2% success rate for like successful outcomes for both the company and the firm was like not acceptable to as like a thesis for like helping the black mm -hmm. community, which I think is very true and very smart. Um, 
And so this, in that sense, is basically they said that they want to increase the success rate from one to two percent to you know ten to fifteen percent ish. In that way, it has a more like sustainable, impactful, uh, lasting impact. Well, impact on the black community, and uh, so that, I thought that that was because basically scenario B with 10% turning into profit sharing basically says, okay, you're not venture backed, but that doesn't mean that we're going to make you raise more money or grow at all costs or just like run out of money. You can then pursue profitability, but it seems like option a is still like that is that has plan a is to keep mm-hmm. going down the venture route as much as possible. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, maybe where the difference is and i don't know if it's just strictly a positioning thing but yeah it sounds like this is more like you said the the plan a is go for venture and if it doesn't work out here's this fallback or i think the earnest positioning is more plan a is stay bootstrapped this is the only money you should need um, but if you do want to you know if, if things are going great or if you do want to pur- pursue venture the earnest deal isn't going to stop you from doing that. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. Cause they've had a couple who actually do raise money from venture capital or they've raised venture capital. I think like yak was one of them. Yak's definitely one. Uh, maybe there's another one in there, but, um, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, re- regardless, like I think it's awesome. It, the more of these type of, uh, investors that are out there, the better for all of us for sure. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. There was one more that I wasn't planning on bringing up, but I think is, it's actually more relevant than I originally thought, which was actually one that I'm considering being like a super, super small LP in, I I suppose, I guess, but it's called a Zelle capital. And they basically act as like a syndicate, but for like venture deals essentially. Um, But they have an interesting kind of thesis around investing really in like the Midwest and the heartlands of America, not, you know, coastal, huge metropolitan cities. Um, And they have a mix of, it's kind of like this where not binary outcomes of traditional venture capital, uh, but also including some like non-dilutive growth equity, even like revenue-based financing and even debt into the equation as well. So I think they said they were allocating like 30% 30% of the fund strictly to those kinds of investment vehicles that they think could will like at least sort of like double um, or like return capital. And then like everything venture is kind of just like all upside. And mm. that's, you know, that could be where the the three X comes from or the 10 X or the hundred X comes from like, who knows? But I thought that that was interesting too. Just like having more, giving more optionality to, venture companies and venture returns rather than just the, you know, moonshot one in a hundred IPO, you know, or ginormous acquisition of some kind. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the worst is when there's like a a product or a company you love that took venture and they, you know, they grew, but not at the rate that they needed to. And their only other option is to shut down. Yeah. It's it's crazy. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. It's a, I mean, it, you look at like Gumroad and, and Sahil where there was like a rare case where mm. he was able to, you know, basically fall back to bootstrapping um, and, and not have to shut down the product. And imagine if he would have had to shut down Gumroad and how many people uh, use that product now today and, and love it and make a living off of it. So, yeah, I, I think right. it's great that there are more of these popping up. Yeah, like I wonder if Gumroad had taken something like a, a space deal where, you know, so that 10% just converts into some sort of profit share. And then three years later when it's, you know, profitable, and it's actually very profitable later, then uh, I forget what he what he raised from. It was like Benchmark and Kleiner Perkins or something like that. Like they actually get a meaningful return. And then he still gets to go back to, you know, 98% ownership or whatever it is, 97% ownership. Uh, he got to a hundred, right. And the, until the, <laughs> the Republic fundraise, um, I forget how much that was actually for, but, um, 
just more outcome or more more options uh more outcomes it seems like a net positive to me like i feel like if i look at the space i'd be like yeah why doesn't every venture capital firm it just seems like there's no like downside to introducing a scenario b plan b kind of option yeah yeah i don't know i've uh, <laughs> i listened to uh several years old podcast uh it was justin jackson and jason calcanis and they were talking about you know justin was was asking him like why basically why does venture exist why do people go the venture route and uh and how it all works and a couple things that jason said that stood out to me you know one was i think rather than like you said have this fallback um a lot of venture capitalists like it it's partly emotional too like they would rather cut their losses they would rather not be tied mm. to that company anymore right um and yeah and some of the numbers are just they're so large that the losses become rounding errors like if if, if you could salvage a 1 million ARR company it might not even be worth it for them uh, mm. because they want the, you know, billion dollar company. So, yeah. Um, yeah, but I don't know. It's, it's, it's at crazy. least good that, that some people are thinking about that and it's happening. Yeah. Yeah. I, the hard part I think is, um, today raising money is definitely more founder friendly. Like founders are getting the, the good deal out of it. Maybe we mentioned, we talked about it earlier, but like, or in one of the previous episodes, but you know, to me, it's scary being like creating like a floor for like, okay, this is like the minimum valuation and like everything over this is a positive outcome for investors. Like that's a lot of pressure for founders, but they're getting like almost free money. You know, it's just like, if they didn't care at all, I would be like, great. I'll take $10 million for 10% <laughs> of the company at a hundred million dollar valuation. Sure. Why not? Like I'll put that money to good work and also own 90% of the company. Um, but that's not necessarily great for investors. And if I was a, you know, principal VC, I would be, I don't know if I could even like live with myself knowing that I have to find like the next Uber just to like return, like, <laughs> give, give like a good return in the next 10 years. Like, Oh gee. Or like for every fund, you know, one for every fund. It's like, that's a ton of pressure and, I, I don't know if I could live that way. That just seems too stressful to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, even... I, I mean, taking the small investment from Ernest, like for me personally, it it definitely changed things in how I felt. Like it... In some ways, it was good. Like it, it was... it. It made me look at JetBoost not like this, you know, what at the time felt more like a, a side project that I was, uh, or had been working on and it was like, okay, this is like a real business that I need to make work now, not just for myself, but yeah, for yeah. these investors as well. Um, but yeah, there's definitely added pressure then. And yeah, I, I can't imagine what it's like to take a few million <laughs> for, for a small percentage of your company. Yeah. Like that's that's pressure times a hundred from, from what yeah. I've experienced. Yeah. yeah. You either have to like not care yeah. or you have to be like, I don't know, just shoot from the moon, Elon Musk, you know, you're go big, go home and you just believe in yourself and what you're doing that much. And you won't stop at all costs. And you very much think that you will get there. But I'm like, mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't know if I even want to be the next Elon Musk. <laughs> I think I'm fine being, <laughs> being Corey and uh, doing a, a calm, profitable business. That sounds, that sounds better to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. All right. Well, shall we wrap it there? Anything else? Yeah, I think let's wrap it. All righty. Well, we'll have as many of the links and mentions that we can remember in the show notes. Appreciate you guys listening. If you have any questions, feel free to follow the link in the show notes. This little thing you should see right there. It says, ask us a question. It's powered by a zip message, zipmessage.com slash default dash alive. You can send us a question that's a, a text, just, you know, a plain sort of written note, 
or you can record an audio message and that'll get included in the episode. You might get it. I mean, you will get a shout out out of it as well. So if you want to, feel free to do that and we'll see you in the next one.